The Holy Gospel according to John, the first chapter. Glory to you, Lord. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? He said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. There are some moments in time that simply become seared into your memory. There is at least one member of our congregation who remembers the day that Pearl Harbor was bombed at 7.55 a.m. on December 7, 1941. Some of you in this room recall when Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated at 6.01 p.m. on April 4, 1968. Many of us recall 8.46 a.m. on September 9, 2011, when the North Tower of the World Trade Center was struck by hijacked Flight 11. Of course, remembering exact time does not only apply to times of tragedy. We can also recall specific times of joy. I am certain that those attending the Carnotaurus Theater in Vienna at 8 o'clock p.m. on May 7, 1824, never forgot the first public performance of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. The world would never forget the moment they woke up on the morning of September 2, 1945, to the good news that the Second World War had just officially ended. Some in this room will never forget 6.45 a.m. on July 16, 1969, when human beings first set foot on the moon. Some in this room will never forget 5 o'clock a.m. August 13, 1961, the day the Berlin Wall first went up. And I will never forget midnight, November 9th, 
1989, the moment the Berlin Wall officially crumbled. I remember the exact moment my sons were born, 12.49 a.m. for Christian, 4.19 a.m. for Jake, 3.03 p.m. for Philip. I will always remember 3 o'clock on the stifling afternoon of July 25th, 2014, when Doug and I got married. I'm certain at this point that you are also reflecting on your own list of times and dates in history that are significant in your life. We all have times and dates that mark our time and our existence. To be human means to somehow mark the passing of time, whether through sundials, moon dials, obelisks, water clocks, incense clocks, noon whistles, church bells, calendars, wristwatches, cell phones. Even in the 8th century BCE, the philosopher Homer describes the use of stars to determine the best times to farm and to sail, some methods which are still used today. Of course, the passing of time can and does exist outside of human measure, <clears throat> but it seems to be an intrinsic human curiosity to observe and measure time in general. It marks significant events, dates, and moments in particular. We encounter this in the Gospel of John. Ironically, in a way, the book of John stands outside of time. The other three Gospels, called the Synoptic Gospels, each have their own year, and we rotate through them annually, chronologically reading about the story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. While Matthew, Mark, and Luke each have their own distinct perspectives, in general, they follow similar chronological timelines of Jesus' life. John, however, marches to the beat of his own drum. His gospel is more poetic than chronological. So rather than getting his own year, you'll see readings from John pop up on high holidays like Christmas and Easter, also Reformation Sunday, and today. When John describes a unique event that Matthew, Mark, and Luke leave out, the precise moment when John recognizes Jesus and publicly proclaims him to be the Lamb of God, but there's more to this reading than that. Within the Gospel of John itself, there are not many instances when specific times are named, but there are a few. And when these come up, we know that something significant is happening. In our reading today, we discover the first time in the Gospel of John that a specific time is named. At first, it seems inconsequential. After all, who cares what time of day it is? Four o'clock is hardly a dramatic hour for anything to unfold. Parties never start at four. It's too late for a late lunch, far too early for dinner. At best, four o'clock in the afternoon gets a few marks for being on the early side of happy hour. For me, personally, four o'clock, in fact, is my least favorite hour of the day when I am at my most unproductive. I learned this in my first year of ministry when I called on George and Ida Washburn in order to bring them communion. And it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon and their house was like 80 degrees and I was drowsy to begin with. I woke up two hours later on their couch covered up by an afghan while they played sheephead. You dozed off, Ida said. You don't say, I answered. That pretty much sums up four o'clock for me. <laughs> but this story is not about me. It's about Andrew. 
and it's about Simon. In the exact moment when they realize who Jesus is. Clearly, these two brothers had been searching for something before Jesus showed up. They had been seeking greater truths outside of their existence as fishermen, and so they start at first following John around. They listen to John preach, they become disciples of John, and then Jesus walks by, and John exclaims, This is the Lamb of God. In other words, here is the one I've been telling you about. This is the Son of God who has existed since the dawn of time and now has taken on our flesh and our blood and has entered into our time. I was born first, says John, but Jesus really is the firstborn of all creation because unlike me, he has come to save the world. And so Andrew and Simon lead John to follow this Jesus fellow. After all, John gives Jesus pretty high reviews, and if John so highly recommends Jesus, he must be worth paying attention to. So then Jesus turns to Andrew and Simon and asks them this question. What are you looking for? What are we looking for? <laughs> we don't know. Truth? Peace? Equity? Equality? Life without fear and discrimination? Escape from poverty? Freedom from oppression? A purpose in life? What are any of us looking for? Restoration? Absolution, benediction, Andrew and Simon are undone by Jesus' question. They are caught off guard. They're not expecting so profound a question so suddenly. What are we looking for? Answers to the mystery of life? Hope that there is some meaning in this life that we have, assurance that there is something beyond the grave. What are we looking for? Peace in our anxious souls, healing for our broken relationships, courage to live life in an occupied land. What are we looking for? We don't know, but we're looking for something, just as many of us here are today. They offer Jesus no response. All they can muster is the simple question, teacher, where are you staying? Jesus replies, come and see. And so they follow him to the place where he's staying, and they remain with Jesus the rest of the day. At one point, they look up at the sun, and they note its position in the afternoon sky, and they think to themselves, it is 4 o'clock. The day is waning. It's mostly over. For us modern Westerners, the day actually begins at midnight and practically begins at sunrise when we wake up. But for ancient Jews, the day begins at sunset, for Andrew and Simon, then, four o'clock is very late in the day. With the imminent sunset, a new day is about to begin, a new day in their life with Jesus. And John marks that moment. It's four o'clock. It's a new day in Andrew and Simon's quest for greater truths, the same questions that haunted Isaiah long ago, questions of the meaning of life, and existential yearning, and anxiety, fears of a wasted life, of hope for life beyond the grave, questions like, is there really a creator? And if so, does this creator really truly know me and love me? Questions like, who is this person Jesus, and how can he really be the Lamb of God? Is there really the resurrection of the dead? Is there hope after despair? Can there be healing for all that which is broken in the world and myself? 
for Andrew and Simon, four o'clock in the afternoon that day is the moment when their life changes. We don't know what they discuss that day when Andrew and Simon stay with Jesus. I guess it's not so important that we know that. Jesus had said to them, come and see, and they went and they saw. Come and see where I'm staying, he says. Come and see what I'm about. Come and rest and come and cry. Come and lament and come and laugh. Come and shake your fists at me and come and rejoice. Come and wash and come and eat. Come and see. Come and be. There are only a few other times in John's Gospel when he notes a specific time of day. Those moments are equally significant and just as gorgeous. A few chapters later, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at a well. Today this seems like no big deal, but at that time Jesus has no business whatsoever engaging this woman in conversation because of her religion, her marital status, and her gender, and yet he does. Jesus tells her that he is the one for whom she's been waiting. And she leaves her jug at the well. She goes into town to tell others what she has seen and heard. And she, without name, status, rights, or voice, becomes the first female apostle in the Gospel of John. Jesus enters into her time and listens to her, values her, and loves her, and it is new. And her reality shifts and her life changes. It is noon in human time when Jesus welcomes this woman, this outsider, into his reality and into his kingdom. John marks the moment. It is noon. And shortly after that encounter, Jesus enters Galilee, where he was once a big hit. If you recall, the changing water into wine bit, but now he is starting to encounter resistance. A royal official approaches Jesus, having traveled two days from Capernaum just to see Jesus, and begs him to heal his son, who is dying at home from a fever. He begs Jesus to come home with him back over the mountains, a treacherous two-day journey in order to heal his son. Jesus says no. The man does not take no for an answer. Jesus finally says, okay, I don't need to be by your son's side for him to be healed. Go. Your son's health is restored. The man learns later that his son was healed at exactly one o'clock, the precise moment when Jesus had assured him of his son's healing. Jesus enters into this man's time, this agonizing time, when his son's life hangs in the balance, this officer in an enemy's army, this man, this officer in the service of the same Herod who would eventually sentence Jesus to death, is welcomed into Jesus' reality and into his kingdom. This outsider, this enemy even, is absorbed into Jesus' new kingdom time. And it is one o'clock. Only two other examples of John mark time in his gospel. John notes the time when Pilate proclaims the guilty verdict and announced Jesus' death sentence, and it is noon. And the day is divided. It's half day, half night, half light, half dark. Time hangs in the balance. Life and death are locked in battle. Satan sharpens his claws. Jesus ascends the cross and it is noon. It is noon. 
Once again, Jesus enters into human time to cry human tears and to bleed human blood to gaze upon his human mother to die a human death. And it is noon. Soon, of course, followed by early on the first day of the week while it is still dark, at that moment when dawn first breaks, Mary encounters the empty tomb and it is Easter and the moment of daybreak is never the same for Mary and she runs out to tell the others what she's seen, becoming the second woman apostle to be welcomed into Jesus' reality and Jesus' kingdom and death is now dead and Satan is defeated and Christ is alive in human time at daybreak so that when our loved ones die and we note the time, we know that God embraces them into eternity as God who has known each of us since long before we were born. Time and time again, Jesus enters into our human time to give hope and life and love. In all of these examples, Jesus enters human time, our world of sundials and calendars and alarm clocks, and we take note of time and day when life changes, when we encounter Jesus, whether it's Andrew and Simon, whether it's the Samaritan woman at the well, or the Roman officer Isaiah, who recalls with perfect clarity the moment God first calls him to be a prophet, St. Paul, who remembers that exact moment when he encounters the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, and instead of killing Christians, becomes one. And just as John the Baptist remembers the exact moment he first lays eyes on Jesus and says, this is the Lamb of God. Consider for yourselves if there is a day, perhaps even a specific moment, when time changed for you, when you felt your world shift, when you felt Jesus and hope enter into your time. Maybe this was through a friend, or a reading, or a hymn, or meditation. Consider if there has been a moment when Jesus has invited you to come and see. Regardless of what you're seeking, whether that be hope, healing, or peace, whether you seek absolution for things done or undone, whether you seek reassurance of faith that is either failing or discarded. Rescue from the panic of calendar and deadline. Maybe you're seeking purpose and meaning in life or answers to philosophical and existential ponderings. Maybe you're seeking simply a place to rest and wash and eat. Consider if there has been a moment when hope has entered into your time when love entered your life, when life became rich with meaning and purpose. Jesus never questions or turns away those who follow him. Jesus never judges or condemns those who seek him. Jesus never demands proof of ethnicity, nationality, or denomination. Never demands documentation, degree, or rank. But Jesus always turns around to encounter ones who follow him and turns around to encounter you, knows what you have been most desperately seeking since before you were even born, enters into your time 
and enters into your life and says to you, come with me and see what I am all about. And when you finally realize that the grace washing over you is unconditional and eternal, and that nothing can ever change that love that God has for you, that moment when you finally know that you are held fast in God's hand, you might find yourself glancing at the clock and noting the time, because life and time have changed. Amen.